Many years ago, I was uh, having a um, uh, cup of coffee with a friend of mine, and you know how when you have a cup of coffee with a friend, your conversation can meander around a thousand different things. That's just what you do over coffee, right? Well, I remember at one particular moment during our coffee time together, this friend made this statement or one similar to it. He, bas- he basically said, you know, Craig, I would have loved to have been alive during the time that Jesus walked the earth, wouldn't you? I mean, to be able to hear the parables from the horse's mouth, to, to be able to see Jesus feed the 5,000 or to raise Lazarus up from the dead. It would have been so much easier to believe back then, don't you think? Now, I want to know this morning, Have you ever had a similar thought? Some of you shook your head no, and some of you said, yeah. You see, here's the deal. I have actually had some variation of that conversation with tons of people over the years. Wouldn't it have been awesome to live 2,000 years ago? And you know what my answer has been every time I've had that conversation with somebody? I would say, I would start out with, don't be so sure. Just as some of you guys were alluding. Don't be so sure that it would be easier to believe if you lived back then. Because did you, re- did you know that there were people alive 2,000 years ago that heard Jesus speak the parables firsthand? Did you know that there were people 2,000 years ago who saw Jesus raise Lazarus up from the dead and feed the 5,000 and they still didn't believe? Why? I don't know why. How can I know what's in somebody's heart? But what I can know is this. I know human nature. The reason why I know is because I have human nature. (laughs) And human nature is if you can have something manifest right in front of your face, and if it doesn't fit in with your worldview, we can come up with all kinds of mental, emotional, and spiritual gymnastics to convince ourselves that it wasn't real. That we can come up with all kinds of reasons not to believe if we don't want to. Truth? That's the truth. Well, that, when I've responded that way to people, they would say, yeah, 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 I get that. I understand. But I want to believe. So wouldn't it have been better for me to live 2,000 years ago so that I could have experienced that stuff? Wouldn't it have been easier to believe? Wouldn't it have been? Again, I would say, don't be so sure. Why? Well, the answer to that why question is what the sermon is all about today. Those of you, you, you if you listen to Tom, if you've been around for the last few weeks, you know that um, today we are kicking off uh, an all-church study entitled, What's So Spiritual About Your Gifts? We do these all-church studies two times um, a year at Prairie Bible, and our intention for doing these all-church studies is the hope that we have to have everybody in the church, as much as possible, to be on the same page, studying the same things at the same time. It's part of our discipleship strategy. Throughout the year, there are all kinds of different Bible studies with different themes, studying different books of the Bible, this and that, that are happening, which is awesome. But sometimes it's good for everybody to be on the same page, and we try to do that two times a year, in the spring and in the fall. And this fall, starting today, um, we are starting the study, What is So Spiritual About Your Gifts? Now, if I were to try to synthesize for you um, what this study is all about, um, I would make this statement. I would say this. First of all, 
you, might have, you may have presumed that it was about spiritual gifts or spiritual gifts inventories if you've ever done those things. We'll talk about those later. But, um, and that, that's part of what this study is about, but it is not the essence of what this study is about. The essence of this study is, first of all, to explore what a relationship with the Holy Spirit is. And secondly, to explore what the manifestation of that relationship will look like in our lives and in the world. So let me say that again. The purpose of these next six weeks is for us to explore a relationship with the Holy Spirit and then to examine what that manifestation of that relationship ought to look like or will look like in our lives and in the world. All right? Today we begin the journey by examining relationship. Relationship with God. Relationship with the Holy Spirit, who is God. If you have your Bibles... I want you to open them up to the the gospel, the New Testament gospel of John chapter 16. And as you're doing that, I'll I'll, kind of give you a little context for the passage that we're going to be dropping into today. Um, We are going to be looking this morning at a passage of scripture that actually um, consists or exists in several chapters starting at verse 14, I think, or starting in chapter 14 and going through 17, I believe. And it is the scene or the scene that is being described to us in this, these chapters is um, the Last Supper. It's a very familiar scene that most of you are familiar with. Um, during the Last Supper, during this evening when Jesus experienced, when they had the Last Supper together, the disciples and Jesus had their Last Supper together, uh, the most familiar things that we know that occurred, the institution of the sacrament of communion, which we celebrate here anyway, monthly. Um, But also, that night, Jesus instituted um, a fundamental truth of Christianity, which is something called servant leadership. When he got down on his knees, remember, and he washed the feet of his disciples, that if you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you need to serve others. It's not about you being served. It's about serving others. Totally different paradigm from the rest of the world. But there was a thread being woven through these chapters during that night that is described for us. And basically what this thread is, is Jesus is doing two things. He is is prophesying about something that is about to happen, literally immediately is about to happen. And he's also explaining to them um, what things will be like Things that they will need to know in order to, to kind of navigate the waters that are about to, they're, they're about to, to flow through their lives. He starts in chapter 14 by saying this. He's saying, he's saying, you guys, I'm leaving. And they're shocked and stunned. He drops this bomb. He just says, I'm leaving. <laughs> And they're, they're going, wait a minute, what do you mean you're leaving? You see, their perception of what the future held did not include Jesus leaving. Their perception of what the future held was that Jesus would become king. He would become their king, their earthly king. Right, Matt? I just did that for you. 
And the other part of it was, not only was Jesus going to become earthly king, but they were going to become part of his, his ruling council, right? So them saying that he was leaving was not just about his future, it was about their future too. And they were thinking, man, this can't be good. There's no, this cannot be good. And then Jesus said, no, 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 listen to me. This is John chapter 14, verse 6, I believe. He said, listen to me. I'm not going to leave you an orphan. I'm not just going to leave you. I'm, I'm going to, if I leave, when I leave, I'm going to go to the Father, and I'm going to ask the Father to send you a helper, the helper. In some translations, it's called the advocate. I'm going to send you an advocate. But what he's talking about here is he says, I'm not leaving you an orphan because when I leave, I'm going to ask the Father to send you the Holy Spirit. Now, have you ever, has anybody ever dropped a bomb in your life and you go, and all you heard, you heard every, everything that happened after the bomb you didn't really hear. You know what I'm talking about? So Jesus drops the bomb and he says, I'm leaving. And that's all they really want. That's all they could hear. But they were trying to make sense of it because they were so stunned. They were going, this isn't good. I, what is going to happen? Um, how are we going to get along without you? What does the future hold? And you, you talk about this helper. How are we supposed to even know who it is or what he looks like? or How are we supposed to recognize him? These are all legitimate questions, by the way. And if you'll notice as you read throughout those chapters, you don't, you don't ever get the impression that Jesus is frustrated with them. He understands that they're shocked and that they're struggling to, to envision what the future will hold now that, that he's not going to be there. And Jesus looks at them and as they're thinking, this can't be good. And basically what he says is, you're right. It isn't good. It's actually better. Did you hear that? Now I want to say something to you here because this is, a, this is kind of a little sidelight, but it, this, will, this is a truth, a nugget that will help you in a lot of things. You may or may not have noticed that change is a part of life. Have you noticed that? And you may or may not have noticed that sometimes change happens whether you like it or not. Have you ever noticed that? Well, what Jesus is saying in this particular instance, but I think it's kind of a universal truth too, is he's saying that change, you, you may not like the change that is happening, but if you trust Jesus with your change, not only will it be good, but it, it will be better than the way it was before. Did you hear that? Now, it may be very difficult for you to grab hold of that and embrace that because of the change that you're experiencing right now. But what he, was, what, he, what he was saying to the disciples, and I believe what he's saying to us today, is that give your change to Jesus and it will not only be good, it will be better than good. Because all things work together for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. He says, it's going to be better. John 16, 7. You got that? In John 16, 7, Jesus says to them, um, it is to your advantage that I leave. 
Because if I don't leave, the Holy Spirit, the helper, isn't going to come. But if I do leave, He will. Now, that one verse, actually this whole passage, you know, these chapters, Jesus is teaching, He's trying to teach them a fundamental truth of the nature of God. I don't think they understood it at the time because remember they just had a bomb dropped on them. But there was a fundamental truth about the nature of God being taught here. He was trying to say to them, this is who God is. This is who I am. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's called the Trinity. God three in one. That God, he's trying to help them to understand the nature of who God is. Remember back in 14 when he said, he says, when I leave, I will ask the Father. When I, the Son, leave, I will ask the Father, God, to send the Helper, the Holy Spirit, God. You know, I've got a master's degree in, in theology, and I'm still not sure I got my mind around this whole Trinity thing. Do you guys figure, have you guys figured it out? I'm not sure I have, but I believe it. He was saying to them in this moment that maybe you don't understand the changes that are about to happen, but never will I, God, abandon you. The way I manifest in your life may be different than what you experienced before or what you understood before. But trust me, this is better. Now, they had no context on, by which to understand how it could be better. But he asked them to believe and trust that when I leave, as scary as that may seem to you, what? is coming is even better. Now, let's, let's stop right there for just a second. Remember earlier when I, um, I shared that conversation that I had with my friend over coffee? And they were saying, I wish I was alive 2,000 years ago because that would have been so much easier to believe. And I remember I answered, don't be so sure. Well, here's the answer to why you shouldn't be so sure. 2,000 years ago, when Jesus was alive walking the earth, um, the only way it was possible for you to have uh, encountered or experienced Jesus was if you lived in Palestine, right? But we can get even more specific than that. You, you realize that there were, I don't know, there were thousands, if not 100,000, maybe millions of people live in, in Palestine at that time. I don't know exactly, but there are a lot of them. And most of the people who lived in Palestine, even though they may have heard of Jesus, and I think they probably did, most of them never met him, never had a firsthand experience, never got to hear the parables direct from the horse's mouth, never got to see Jesus raise Lazarus up from the dead or feed the 5,000. They just, because Jesus could only be at one place at one time, Right? Even the disciples didn't get to be with Jesus all the time because he could only be at one place at one time and they were only at one place at one time. Does that make sense? Well, when Jesus died and rose again, 
and ascended into heaven. He left them. And on the day of Pentecost, when He sent the Helper, the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, the opportunity for humanity, and I'm talking about you now. I'm not talking about people 2,000 years ago. I'm not talking about people who live only in Palestine. I'm saying to you, when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost 2,000 years ago, the opportunity for human beings to experience the power and the magnitude, the direction, the glory of God to have an intimate relationship with God Himself was increased exponentially. Because on that day, anybody who has accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, not just the people who are in the upper room on the day of Pentecost, on that day, everybody from that day forward looking to today, everyone has the potential to have God, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, dwell within us. Every single one of you. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit of God, God Himself, dwells in you. Amen. That's good news. It's good news except for some of you are sitting back going, why don't I feel it? Right? Some of you are. Some of you know exactly what it's like. But listen to me. If I've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and God has promised that the Holy Spirit dwells within me, how come I don't know Him? Did you know that it's possible to live in the same house with somebody and be strangers? Sadly, I have conversations with people, married people all the time, who attest to that truth. Because here's the deal. Relationships require investment. They require work. And just because you live in the same house doesn't mean that you have, that you know that person. You can be strangers and live in the same house. And it's just as true that the Holy Spirit could live in your house, if you know what I mean. And the two of you could be strangers. Not because that's the way the Holy Spirit wants it to be. The Holy Spirit wants to be in relationship with you desperately. But you've got to want to invest in the relationship too. If you don't recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit or the unction of the Holy Spirit in your life, it could be because you're not investing in the relationship with the Holy Spirit. I was telling the first service, I can be in a crowded room, this many people and everybody's talking, right? And I can, I can pick out the voice of Lisa in that room. And as I said then, it's not because she has a big mouth, though she does. I know. I can pick out her voice because I know her voice. You understand what I'm saying? Out of the din in a room, I can hear her voice in a room. When you invest in a relationship with the Holy Spirit, you're going to have all kinds of voices. But the better you get to know the Holy Spirit, the better you'll be able to, oh, that was the Spirit. That wasn't just me, or that wasn't Jeff, or that was the Spirit speaking to me. The next question then becomes, okay, I get it. I understand what you're saying. I don't have the foggiest clue how to, how to invest in relationship with the Holy Spirit. 
Where do we start, Craig? I want this, right? You want this? Do you? I'm asking, do you want a relationship with the Holy Spirit? And be honest with yourself. The question then becomes, what do I need to do? How do I do this? Good news. That's what the next six weeks are about. So come, you got to come back, church. <laughs> Read the book. Come to study. And there's still lots of opportunities for you to get involved. You can do it at home as a family. You can, I know we've, we ran out of the little books again. I apologize. Uh, I, Mark, where are you at? Are you in here? Are we going to try to get any more? We're going to try to get some more, but go ahead and try to order it yourself. You may have, might get it faster that way. But it's not too late. Um, and it'll be, it'll be a good investment. Because what you're doing is investing in the Holy Spirit, in a relationship with the Holy Spirit. All of this that we've talked about today and that we're going to talk about in the next several weeks is a moot point, however. If you haven't made the decision, the conscious decision to accept Jesus as your Lord. Because it's only when you accept Jesus as Lord that the Holy Spirit indwells you. And it's only then that you can begin to build relationship with Him. So the first step is to accept Jesus as Lord. He's already taken the first step towards you, and He did that by becoming one of us in the form of Jesus, right? So when you accept Jesus as Lord, the Holy Spirit then will indwell you, and the relationship can begin. It's not good enough that you just came to church today. This is a start, right? This was actually you being here today was God, whether you recognize it or not, was God working in your life, pursuing you, hoping that you would want to be in relationship with him. You, you hear a message and you, re, you choose to respond to it. Well, ultimately, the most fundamental decision that has to be made for the next steps moving forward is to consciously make the decision to accept Jesus for yourself not good enough that that you came to church it's not good enough that you read your bible that's all good it's not good enough that grandpa was a preacher that's great god has no grandchildren you have to make that decision for yourself how do you do that well it's simple but not easy right we've talked we talk about this every week and we talk about it every week because fundamentally if you don't get this one right you don't get any of the rest of it right it begins by confessing that you are a sinner. That is not politically correct, correct language. People don't want to hear that today. But you are. And so am I. You, to, on one, slide, to one scale or another, are a screwed up mess. Amen. Amen. <laughs> and ultimately, your only hope is Jesus. Confessing that you are messed up, that you are broken, that you are sinful. Asking God to forgive you, which He will instantly. He already has. He did that on the cross. And then submitting to Jesus as Lord. If you've never done that, if you've never made that conscious decision, you should. You need to. And maybe today is the day you 
you will. If you'd like some help making that decision, right over there, that open door is our prayer room. Um, I'm going to be heading right over there in just a second. If you'd like to pray that prayer uh, with me, I would be thrilled and privileged to do that. And if there's anything else in your life that you'd like a prayer with your pastor concerning, I'll be right over there.